You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. For everything, for everything indie, for everything cults, it's the Blue Horseshoe now. Here's your host, George Bremer and Ryan Hickey. And welcome into another edition of the Blue Horseshoe Podcast. Ryan Hickey and George Bremer here with you. The Patriots-Colts post-game pod. George, we thought it was going to be bad. I, did, I don't know about you. I don't think it was going to be this bad. Lose 26-3. Some of the worst offense somehow for how bad the Denver game was. They were seemingly even worse offensively in this game. So we have a lot to unpack between the play calling, between the offensive line, between Sam Ellinger's struggles. There is one bright spot, the defense. I mean, it doesn't mean much, but hey, at least the defense... Look pretty good against this Patriots offense. George, again, I'll just kind of, I guess, ask you the questions. We both were pretty low on both offenses coming to this game. Both had pretty low scoring games. Both of the Patriots winning. So, hey, we guess we got that right, I guess. That's feather in our cap. But Two this in offense, a row. yeah, well, let's get hot. We're hot right now to the Colts. This offense was, I think, worse than we ever could have anticipated on both sides, but especially, obviously, the Colts. I'll be honest, Stephen Holder can back me up on this. We'll we'll have to try to get him on at at some point. Uh, You know, we were talking in the media room on, I believe it was Thursday, and and somebody said, I think it was me, you know, if Jonathan Taylor doesn't play, how many points do they score in this game? And I said three. So they were not worse than I thought they were going to be. But I I thought it would be a a Shaq Leonard interception that would give them those three (laughs) points. So I didn't have that down. Um, But. You know, I, I honestly, this is what I expected when when Taylor went out, I, I called for 17 points on the pod. I was really excited, uh, giving him a, a boost there. Um, but as soon as it became clear that Taylor wasn't going to play, I I assumed that Bill Belichick would do exactly what he did. Shut off the running game completely, just completely choke it off and then force, you know, a quarterback making a second start to read his defense and make plays and the result of that is 99% of the time going to end up with what you just saw out there uh, today. If we sound just to, I just want to throw this out there to start the pod. If we sound, I guess, a little joyful or just if you hear a lot of laughing, we're laughing through the pain. Like at this point with how bad the offense we just watched, it's just at this point, at least for me personally, part of the way to cope with it is just to laugh. Just laugh at the mediocrity, laugh at the struggles because boy, George, there was a lot to laugh at. You mentioned it. The Patriots did what we thought and almost kind of feared with Sam Ellinger. Make him beat you with 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 his arm. You don't really blitz him. You drop seven. We talked about Andy Hart on uh, Friday's preview pod. Drop, you know, six, seven, eight guys. Make Sam Ellinger beat you with his arm. And boy, could he not do that. 15 and 29, George. 103 passing yards. Did have one pick six at the end of the game. Was sacked nine times for 60 yards. So we're talking about almost, almost as many sack yards as pass yards. Colts are 0 for on third down, 0 for 14 uh, was a final tally, first time since 2017. Uh, the Scott Tolzien game, the infamous opener against the Rams, where the Colts didn't have a first down. So it all leads to ugly, awful offensive football. But again, not to be expected, but I will say this. One of the areas that I'm very frustrated with after this game that I was expecting better in was play calling. Because you mentioned, no Jonathan Taylor, so you knew it was going to be tough sledding. You kind of saw a Patriots team, and you knew Bill Belichick was going to try his best uh, to really kind of make Sam Ellinger beat him with his arm. And I really thought one of the ways the Colts could have some success against a leaky Patriots defense and inconsistent Patriots defense at times that we know historically has had trouble with mobile quarterbacks was get Sam Ellinger out on the roll, get him out on the edge, and at least whether give him the option to run or pass, and at least cut down half the field and make the throws easy for him, make the reads easier for him because we've seen a lot of young quarterbacks get confused. And by my tally, George, I may have missed one, but by my tally, I didn't see one designed rollout one naked bootleg whatsoever to kind of get Sam Ellinger rolling in a direction, rolling away from the pass rush, especially a pass rush early on. We saw was having a day. What a surprise with the Colts offensive line. It, that was the most, to me, maddening part. Frank Reich is a very good offensive coach. He's very creative. He's aggressive. 
And you saw absolutely none of that. None of that. On Sunday, it was the most vanilla game plan possible. It almost felt like Frank Reich was coaching scared again because he didn't want to make Sam Miller make a mistake. And obviously, as we know, that led to a grand total of three points. Three points and, what, 121 total yards? Um, I mean, you can't. Look, I'm not going to stand here and defend the play call in the way it turned out because obviously uh, what they were doing was not working. 0 for 14 on third down, 121 total yards. Uh, you've now played three straight so road games. You've got one combined touchdown now in the last three road games this year. I mean, those are those are horrific totals. Uh, the only thing I'll say is I think it goes back to this offensive line. I mean, you were, you were talking about, you know, the, that the Patriots were going to drop guys in coverage. Well, you do that and you think you're going to give up some pressure normally. They got nine sacks without blitzing. The front four came after Sam Ellinger and got nine sacks. And I think that's indicative of, of where the issues are right now. The offensive line is making it so easy on opposing defensive coordinators. You can basically do whatever you want because they're not going to stop you. You know, if you run a stunt somewhere in, in, in the course of the game, you're going to get a sack. That's been proven again and again. Play any kind of game up front, and you're going to get a free rusher. So I don't – yeah, I mean, could you call more rollouts? Sure. I, absolutely. I'm not going to defend the play calling the way it was. My whole argument is I don't know what plays you can call right now, and you're going to get much different results. I, I don't – you're still going to end up with free rushers. You're still going to end up with, you know, a defense that doesn't respect – the the passing game whatsoever. I mean, you watch the Patriots, they had no fear. None. No fear. That they were going to get, you know, that, that there was going to be any kind of problem for them through the air. And I, I just feel like if there had been more rollouts, there'd just been a few more batted balls, maybe a couple more interceptions. I, I don't think anything was going to happen good for this offense today. That that's me and my 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 rain cloud that follows me around all the time speaking. I mean, you're probably right. Don't get me wrong here. I'm not. I'm not trying to, you know, portray it as Sam Ellinger would have had, you know, a great day. This Colts offense would have scored three touchdowns. If, you know, basically he's rolling out of the pocket like uh, they kind of do in Chicago. It just feels all the time. Don't get me wrong. I'm. I actually agree. I don't think much is changing, but at least try something. Like I feel like watching this game, George, is like you're stuck in the literal definition of insanity when you drop back, you keep in the pocket, and again. It's a little game where the uh, the defensive end, you know, loops around, comes inside, and has a free run on the quarterback. For the most part, it's Matt Ryan. Now it's Sam Ellinger the last few games is the one that's, you know, the recipient of a lot of these hits. And it's just like, especially early in the game, George, the first three drives of the game, three sacks. And it's like right away, even if you wanted to have a game plan of, we're going to have Sam Ellinger throw from the pocket. We're going to try to keep our offense somewhat similar. And that's going to – our best way we think about how to beat the, this Patriots defense. Clearly, through for the first three drives, you knew right away that's not going to work. You got to change something, even if you're right, and even if the game plays out like you're saying, which again, I think you are right, it probably would have done that. At least you could say you tried. At least Frank Wright could say, I threw the kitchen sink out and nothing worked, but at least I tried. It doesn't even feel like they're trying, like it's just like I, oh, you got dropped back, oh, let's just do it again. Nothing's changing, and it's just like, why you keep on doing the same thing over and over again. I think it goes back to what we talked about last week. I think it's more apparent now than it was then. We talked about last week. I don't think a lot of other people were necessarily on the same boat with us, but they are now. Wright doesn't trust this quarterback. I mean, I, that's no. what I saw last week from the way the play calling was. And that, to me, is the only answer to, to what you're talking about. We've seen him try a thousand different things with Matt Ryan, from changing the tempo to going to complete no huddle to, you know, all sorts of things. And they threw 58 passes in one game with him. Here... It's fourth and one, and they, and they threw a pitch. They didn't even trust the yeah, quarterback to throw the ball on fourth and one. I mean, I'm not defending any of it. I still think you're right. I think ultimately, you still got to do it. You know, ultimately, hey, if, if you don't feel, if you're so worried about him and, and you have so little trust in him, then what's he doing on the field? Put in Nick Foles. I mean, I don't care. You know, at, at this point, if you're going to just keep running the same thing like you were talking about and get sacked nine times, and not convert on any third down. Why not? Why is the quarterback out there? Like I, you know, and that you know because I said it on the air. I was against this move from the start, and this is why I said then I don't care who the quarterback is. Just go get Dan Marino in his prime. This line is not going to let you put up a lot of points, and I think people see that now. I think, and obviously Jonathan Taylor being out made it worse. But Matt Ryan won two games without John Jonathan Taylor on the field. They were two and zero without him. So it's not just that. You know, the line can't pass protect. They're not getting any push in the run game. And you don't trust the quarterback. And to me, the the 
the end result, either you don't trust the quarterback or you're not calling these plays for some other unforeseeable reason. I mean, to me, I, 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 that's what comes down to me. They don't trust the quarterback. And if you don't, why is he playing? I agree. I mean, and that's part of the, you know, when we had that, you know, um, breaking news pod when Sam Ellinger was announced to start on that Monday and we did an emergency pod kind of reacting to one of the things I thought we did a really good job on and harping on was the fact that they announced it for the rest of the season, which we're talking mm-hmm. about at that point, it was 10 games. It's like, if this gets ugly fast, the seat, like two months is an eternity in the NFL. 10 games is a very long sample size to watch an offense. Like right now we're watching. I mean, you, George, we're talking about not even being able to string together two first downs. We're talking about, you know, having negative yards almost by halftime and setting franchise records for like fewest total yards gained in a quarter and a half. The Colts set another record or at least, you know, lead the league uh, this year in trailing every game in the fourth quarter. One thing we talked about in the preview pod is even if you lose the game, can you get a lead at halftime in the fourth qu- or going to the fourth quarter? Over two on both of those ventures yet again. But what I don't understand is maybe, George, this is part of the reason why Marcus Brady got fired. Uh, we don't know. But – I never forget like that press conference with Marcus Brady when he was, you know, getting questions about the move and what Sam Ellinger brings. They were talking about and openly talking about we are going to try to roll him out of the pocket more. We're going to have an offense that's again catered to what he does well. And you watch this game to on Sunday. You watch last week against the Commanders, George. You can't see the difference in the offense between when Matt Ryan is there and Sam Ellinger is there. That's a problem. They're no, two totally right. different quarterbacks, but the offense is literally the exact same. No, you're absolutely right. Like they're, they're, that's all I talked about was nakeds and, and bootlegs and, you know, rollouts. And I, they did a little bit of that against Washington, a very little bit, not, not a lot. I didn't see it at all today. Um, yeah. I, again, I don't know. To me, the only answer to that is, is you don't trust your quarterback. And, and, you know, I, I don't know where you're going with this uh, as an offense at this point, because like you said, you can keep trying it this way. It's not going to work. If he's going to be out there, then you've got to trust him. You've got to be able to, to, to try to use the things that you said were his strengths, you know, try to get him out there on the run. There's no doubt about it. If he's going to play moving forward and he is, then you've got to trust him. You've got to, you've got to start calling those rollouts, calling those bootlegs and seeing if he can make something happen because it definitely isn't happening. And it, look, every game won't be this bad. We talked about it going in. The Patriots aren't a classic new England team, but Belichick is going to, you could probably give him Boston college's defense today. And he was going <laughs> to put up a pretty good job because he knew what he had to do. I mean, it, and, and that's what I think is going to be scary moving forward. There's a blueprint here now. And you kind of know it's the same thing they did last year when Carson Wentz got erratic late in the year. And people just said, we don't think Jonathan Taylor can beat us by himself. And most of the time they were right. Load that box, choke off the running game, force them to make plays through the air this line's not holding up uh, to even give the quarterback a chance. I mean, we really don't know what Sam Ellinger can do throwing the ball downfield, much like we didn't get to see Matt Ryan throw the ball downfield because there's, there's no chance to do it. And I think you're right. The only chance you would have is if you maybe get him out on the move and, and let him maybe extend a play that way. Um, to me, it's either start trusting your quarterback or put somebody else in there. And one of the plays that was I thought, damning on both, because again, we questioned Sam Ellinger's ability to make throws down the field. I believe it was the third quarter, if my memory serves me right. He was rolling out, and I thought Adam, uh, Adam Archuleta did a great job breaking it down. Ellinger was on, uh, on, outside the pocket, rolling out to his right, and had a receiver. I think it looked like to me, Michael Pittman Jr., they didn't zone, uh, zone in too much, but it looked to be him like we had a step deep, and they did not, you know, he did not pull the trigger. He said he ran out of bounds. And it's one of those things where you wonder if you are Frank Reich. That's one of the reasons why you didn't want to play him because you want to take it. You know, the, you mentioned it. there's never really an opportunity to throw the ball deep whatsoever. The one opportunity you do have, you'll want to at least see him rip it. Just take it, like, just see what happens, whether it's a pass interference call, whether it's, you know, he, he makes a catch. Worst case is a pick. It's kind of like a long punt with the way this offense is going anyway, and the Patriots are deep in their own end. Anything but right now, just kind of taking the, the three-yard run because this Colts offense is so bad, George. We talked about the lack of explosives. There's zero life, and you mentioned it. There's zero threat past 10 yards for this defense to worry about. It's awful. And I, and I, I mean, we talked about that too, you know, in, in the preview pod. If you set a fire in this league, you got to put it out. This is going to be a blueprint moving forward. If, if you're the Raiders – you're looking at this, and you're going to at least line up the same way. I don't know if they've got the personnel or the coaching to to run it the same way wow. that New England did. You know that those are different kind of arguments, but you're at least going to come out in the same looks, right? I mean, you're at least going to try the same general idea. 
I would think all eight opponents the rest of the way are. And, and to me, yeah, I think at some point you've got to get Ellinger on the move. You've got to get him out there. And, you know, again, you said the reason you put him in was his legs. Then use them. We'll get to the offensive line here in a second, but let's wrap up this first segment, George, with this discussion uh, or this topic because we did kind of mention in the preview pod that this was going to be a game, at least I thought going in, to kind of see the gauge of Frank Reich. If he still has a control of the team, if the guy's still responding to him, kind of how they play, if they're playing hard. I thought defensively they played really hard um, throughout the entire game. There's really, you know, very – there was very little instance of Frank Reich's voice, let's say, being lost or just the team kind of just completely unraveling. But I wonder from an offensive perspective, this is going to start first maybe, because you mentioned we are seeing right now the little definition of insanity with this offense. They're kind of doing – they're running the same thing with Sam Ellinger. He clearly shows you between him and the offensive line, they cannot hold up to what the play calling is, but yet the play calling is not changing to either fit the personnel or kind of fit you know, or change to make it life easier for these struggling units. I think we're going to see a situation coming soon, George, where it, not a mutiny that's that's too strong. And I don't think there's players like that that would kind of have an uprising. But Frank Reich is kind of digging his own grave right now, even worse than it already is, because it's I don't know if you're an offensive player, how you could trust what he's doing and what he's calling, because especially if you're a receiver, tight end, running back, you see what's not working. And then you constantly hear the play call coming in of just basically the same thing over and over again. I mean, there's already some guys frustrated on offense. You know, we saw Michael Pittman kind of being open last week with some of his frustration. Um, and I think that's only going to grow. I mean, it, that's just natural. That's human nature. I, I don't know how you could be out there right now. I'm sure the offensive line is frustrated too. You know, they feel like they need to get the job done. And I think that's part of what's going on right now. You're kind of stuck in a vicious circle of negativity right now where the offensive line gets angry with itself because it's it's not playing up to its standard and they, they can't get out of that cycle. And that just feeds into the rest of the offense. And I think eventually that's going to start leading to something um, that I just think it's human nature. It's going to start leading to something even more negative than what you're seeing right now, uh, because you've got to find an answer, right? I mean, you've got to find an answer. And, and what that is, I don't know. I mean, it wasn't like it was working with Matt Ryan, you know, when, when he was out there. It wasn't like they were humming along and, and you know, playing great offense. Um so I don't know what the answer is moving forward. I, I think that's what's so frustrating for everyone. You've tried so many different things already this year, different starters, and they pulled Matt Pryor halfway through the game today uh, at right guard. You know, and, I, and I don't think it helped. I mean, we talked about the offensive line having troubles. It didn't help that Dennis Kelly really didn't play. I, he might have started the game. He was not out there very long no. uh, at all. He obviously was injured throughout the week and, and was a game-time decision. Uh, and Bernard Raymond, you know, had a lot of trouble against this New England team, as you would expect him to. I and mean, it goes back to, I think, look, at the end of the year, we've been saying this for weeks. Frank Reich's probably cooked. You know, I mean, that's just the way these things go. Uh, you're an offensive head coach. Your offense is 30th in the league in scoring coming into today. That might they might be last. Uh, you know, I don't know how far ahead they were of 32nd, but three points is not going to push that yeah. that very far uh, in 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 the right direction. So I think you know that's that's pretty much done, but. We really haven't talked a lot about the things that Chris Ballard did, you know, that, that have affected this season. And I, think that left, and I think that left tackle spot is at the top of the list. I mean, we keep talking about the offensive line and how they're the root of all evil right now. Well, you know, you've had, what, three different left tackles now with Matt Pryor and, and Bernard Raymond and then Dennis Kelly. And it, you're not getting it done. And I think that was, you know, to come into the year with the idea that, that the left tackle spot wasn't going to be important with any quarterback, but especially with Matt Ryan, who's a veteran and was immobile, was probably not the right thought. And now you're not giving your, your kid much of a chance to, to make plays either because, I mean, you saw today. I mean, all you got to do is watch the game. If you think Sam Ellinger had a legit shot, you watch a different game than I did. And again, it goes back to trading away Naeem Hines. Like they are doing, I we are both on the same page. He's not very good. And it's not like it's, we're surprised playing this bad, but also at the same time, it's like they're truly not giving him a realistic chance to earn the job, which I do in a small sense, feel bad for him for, because he's getting the opportunity, but it's not anywhere near the chance he should be getting. Um, you mentioned offensive line. I want to get into that when we come, uh, when we do return in the blue horseshoe pod. And also too, two interesting post game quotes. I see trickling in from Frank Reich. I want, uh, I want you to react to George. Cause it's, it's confusing for me. I wonder if you're on the same page. We'll get into that when the Blue Horseshoe Pod does return. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. As always, make sure you are liking, subscribing, and downloading to the Blue Horseshoe Pod. Myself and George would really appreciate it. And tell a friend about us. Tell all your Colts friends about the Blue Horseshoe Pod. We're here three times a week for the good, which is very little so far, and mostly of the bad so far this season. Misery does love company, George, and we will be here for you. And we do love some more friends. So make sure you tell your other Colts fans about the Blue Horseshoe Pod. Uh, where we are, I guess we're available. I should say wherever you can get your pods. So speaking of misery, George, this offensive line continues to just be an absolute sieve. You mentioned it. They had Bernard Ryman out there for most of the game at left tackle because Dennis Kelly was active, played, a, I believe it was just a drive and then it was out. And then they made, they bent Matt, uh, bench Matt prior and both fries come in. So you mentioned before three left tackles this season, three right guards this season. That's been, you know, two problem uh, issues for sure. But again, the offensive line in the entirety, all five guys were just horrendous. And you mentioned before, the Patriots didn't blitz. So you're talking about three, four, maybe, maybe at times five rushers. And the Colts could not, for the life of them, say, say you know, pick it up and block as, as uh, Sam Ellinger's got sacked nine times. It's I know it's, it's hard to kind of talk about it in a different way because it's the same thing every single week. But here we are talking about another pathetic performance on the highest paid offensive line in the NFL. And that's, I mean, that's the season in a nutshell. That That's what it is. You had the highest paid offensive line in the NFL. You thought worst case scenario, you're going to lean on Jonathan Taylor. You're going to be able to run the football. And if the quarterback just doesn't make mistakes, you can, you know, make a couple plays here and there and, and stay in games with a good defense. Everything else has worked except for that offensive line. I mean, the game plan, I think, coming into this year was you're going to have Jonathan Taylor. You're going to have one of the league's top three at worst rushing games. And you're going to, and you, you put a veteran like Matt Ryan behind center and he's going to make a couple plays to make defenses pay when they overplay it. And then the defense is able to play at the level that it's been playing at. We'll get to that later. The defense has not been disappointing, uh, but the offensive line has kind of sunk everything else. Matt Ryan's not effective because he can't, he doesn't have any time. Sam Ellinger's not effective because he doesn't have any time. If Nick Foles gets a shot, he's not going to be effective because he won't have any time. It's the same thing over and over again. And it's not like they haven't tried there. I mean, like you talk about, you've rotated you know, the lineup through a few times, three different players at left tackle, three different players at right guard. The problem is you let go a couple really good road grading linemen in, in Chris Reed and Mark Lewinsky. And again, we talked about this before with Jack Doyle, losing Jack Doyle. And, and they talked about that a lot on the broadcast today. And I wasn't in New England, so I actually got to watch the TV broadcast, which is new for me. Uh, and so, you know, the, I heard them talking about that a lot today. And I think that's there. I think the guy we don't mention enough, and I'm as guilty as anyone, is Zach Pascal. He was such a big part of that run blocking too, getting out there and opening things up downfield. And, and you know, that's four guys. If you want to use Reed and Glowinski as one, since they were playing the same position, um, or not as one, you know, four counting right. Eric so, Fisher, counting right. Eric Fisher, who, who granted was terrible in pass protection, but did a pretty good job run blocking most of the year towards the end. He started to, to level off there too, which I think is part of why he's not back. But most of the year he was at least at a higher level than what they're getting out of the left tackle now. So Fisher, the right guard, Doyle and Pascal, that's four guys involved in that run blocking you know, aspect of the game that, that aren't there. And I think you're seeing them be missed badly, but then it's scheme things too. I mean, you were just talking a, a minute ago at one point, Deion Jackson's on Matt Judon today. That reminds me of Kyle, Kylan Granson being on Jeffrey Simmons earlier. You, you're compounding problems. It's, it's a high degree of difficulty. Anyway, it's sort of like if I have a really hard test coming up and I know it and I cram for it at the last second, instead of actually doing my job, you know what I mean? I just made my own job harder. That's the Colts right now. They're, they're, they're taking what was already going to be a really difficult situation and, and making it harder on themselves. And it goes back to like Frank Reich. And like, at least for me, the, the biggest theme of today's game was just the play calling. Because like, again, Matt Judon by that point had two sacks in the second half already in the game. And I think he had both sacks like in the first two or three series. So he was feasting early. And right. 
on a third down play, they're saying, Deion Jackson, go block the best pass rusher on the Patriots. I believe at this point, he's the league leader in the NFL in sacks. Go block him one-on-one. That's going to work out really well. Like, what are you ta- Like, what are you thinking? What is going through your brain if you are Frank Reich, if you're Chris Strauser, if you're, if you're scheming up this offense and saying, yeah, that's going to be our plan of attack this week. We're going to, on, on this play specifically, we're going to make sure Deion Jackson, a backup, a really a third string running back, no disrespect to him, who's now mm-hmm. become the starter, he's going to now pick up one of the best pass rushers in the NFL who's already having a hell of a day as it is. In what world do you think that is going to work? And it goes, again, we've talked about with, with, with the quarterback, with you know, even with Deion Jackson himself, put them in a position to succeed. Give them a chance. You want to chip Jamal Judon, fine. But the fact that you're saying you're going to give him a head start and you're going to have him go one-on-one with a head of steam is never going to work. And it's just, I don't know how we're sitting here, George, and this just feels like an in, insane asylum. I feel like I am in an insane asylum. Hey, but look, at least Marcus Brady got fired, so it all was fixed. Yeah, oh, yeah. You, you saw the dramatic difference, George. Thank God he was gone because now all of a sudden this offense has really opened up. Holy I, smokes. You know, and, and and I think that's the thing. They, they keep – I talked about it at the time on, on both of those moves. You know, when we benched the quarterback and I said, well, you, your engine is blowing up in your car and you change the tires. And then this week I said they they kind of wiped the windshield, and, and that's what's happening. The engine is still – completely shot the car's still sitting on the side of the road you know waiting for for somebody to come give it a tow that's where they're at you know and, and i don't know i know because i you know, i've i've heard in, in previous press conferences and we want to get to that too because obviously i wasn't there today um you know frank rice even said they're frustrated because they are running out of answers you know they, they've got to get back into the room and they've got to figure out what they're going to do because every time they do something it doesn't work and Again, I think it comes back to one problem, but it's never just that. That's the root of it. I think that's the fastest way to improve things. But like we're talking about, it's not just the offensive line. They're just making everything else, you know, a little bit harder. So why then, like, I, we've asked this question a bunch, but I'm just going to ask it again because I still I, I have no idea. Why, again, is Frank Wright continuing to employ Chris Josh? Like, I'll be like, I'll ask it at this point. I'll ask this, George. Are the Colts being directed to tank? Like at this point, I might be I might be under the impression Jim Mercer has told Chris Ballard, Frank Reich, you're safe. We're gonna lose as many games as possible. You're not gonna get fired after this year. And that's why Chris Strauss is still around, and that's why this offensive line's not changing because you mentioned it. You got it at this point, it's about technique. The, the offensive line stinks. You made as many switches as possible. Now it's not personal. Now it's just can you change the way they block? Can you change their philosophy? Maybe that's gonna, you know, create some sort of difference this season. He's the one man where you could truly make a difference or make a change and possibly see an actual difference this season. And that one move's not being made. And again, you're getting dominated by three and four man pass rush. What do we like? Yeah, what, no. what else is the explanation of keeping employed outside the fact that they just are here to lose every game? I, I don't have uh, an answer for that one. I I would have made that move before any of the other ones. Before I benched same. Matt Ryan, before I traded Naheem Hines, before I fired Marcus Brady, I would have seen, you know, if, if, if a change at, at the offensive line coach position would have made a difference. I would have elevated Kevin Mawai and, and just taken my chances and see, see what happens. See if a Pro Bowl center, maybe a Hall of Famer, could change, you know, the, the mindset on that line. Because I think a lot of it, you know, we haven't talked a lot about it, but I honestly think a lot of the problem over there is – sort of that vicious circle of negativity that they're stuck in. I don't think they're not getting any kind of success. They're not getting something they can grab onto. I think that's one of the reasons why Frank Wright kind of overpraised them the last couple of weeks when he was saying, I think the pass protection has been better. I think they're making strides in the running game. And people kind of looked at that a little sideways. I think he's trying to give them something that they can grab onto to build from, you know, sort of like if you're stuck down in a, in a deep, dark hole, you need somebody to throw you a rope or all you see is darkness, you know? And I, I think that's where the offensive line is right now. Honestly, I mean, we, look, they're NFL players. They take responsibility for their own jobs. I get that. But I think even, even the best players on earth, even the best athletes on earth, at some point you need something that you can build on, something you can grab onto, something to, to put light in the darkness. And I think the offensive line has none of that right now. Uh, and it doesn't look like there's anything on the horizon. No, uh, like the rope, the the life ring was tossed down, George. And it feels like they just cut it. They cut the rope and they said, "Ah, screw it. We're just gonna keep we'll hold on to the ring, but no rope attached to bring you up." It's just, it's been so bad. Let me just let's use this, George. Uh, let's do this, George. 
Because I do want to get into the Frank Reich comments post game because they're too interesting. I think that's going to be a little bit longer conversation. So let's quickly at least give some praise because there was at least one bright spot in this just wall of negativity. Speaking of negativity, you mentioned, let's talk about something very uh, positive quickly. That was the defense. Defense, again, had a tremendous game um, where they played hard. They limited this Patriots offense. They had just 209 total yards. And so it's it, like you look at how bad the Colts offense was. The Patriots offense was basically almost as bad outside of, you know, a few extra field goals and, you know, the pick six and a block punt um, also made, you know, made the score look better than it actually was for the Patriots. But my God, at least uh, at least the defense is playing hard. Bobby O'Karake had a, a Shaq Leonard style uh, punch out, which is great to see. It's, it's actually it's good to see the defense playing as well as they are. But at the same time, it's almost even more maddening because this unit is playing so well. It's like if you just have any sort of pulse on offense, this team is could be a playoff contender, but it's just anything but. It's it's such a waste of what has been a very good defensive year, especially after a slow start. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, we talked about it off the air, but 17 points basically given up today by the offense and the special teams. You had the the block punt uh, that set up a touchdown. You had a long punt return that set up a field goal, and then obviously the pick six. So uh, you know, nothing that I can say bad about this defense. They continue to make great plays. DeForest Buckner continues to look like uh, all pro uh, in, yeah. in the middle. But I tell you what, this is going to very quickly become a Grover Stewart stand pod, I think, because – uh, that guy, every every week, there's at least one drive that he just decides is not going to work for the opposition and just single-handedly decides they're not getting anywhere on this possession and blows it up. Uh, he did it again today. Uh, I think you're going to see from him all the time. Uh, Grover Stewart might be the most underappreciated guy in the NFL right now because uh, I, I think people in Indianapolis get it. I'm not saying that the people listening to this pod don't understand it. I think everybody here understands how well Grover's playing and, and what he means this defense, but I think nationally – He's, you know, completely unknown. And I don't know that there's a nose tackle playing better right now in the league than him. You're 100% right. Two more tackles for loss. Remember, he is easily one of the most underrated players nationally in the NFL by far. He's, again, he's been the Colts MVP, I think, this season, by far the most consistent and best player, which is, on one aspect, a credit to him also, at the same time, not great. We're talking about a nose tackle being the best player and the most consistent on this team for sure. But you look, I mean, this Colts, some, the sum of how bad and, and how inept the rushing was, Colts outrushed the Patriots. And that's, again, a Patriots team that needs to and wants to run the ball first. Just 70 yards. Uh, let's see, what was the uh, yards per uh, attempt? Because it was not very high whatsoever. It was 2.5 yards per attempt. So th this like, they did a really good job. They were... The only thing I guess you could really complain about is maybe you get a few extra, you know, recoveries uh, on some of the, the uh, fumbles they did force. Otherwise, it's like they, they're flying around. They're doing a great job, George. It's just such a waste of this offense stinks. Oh, and it, and it, you know, the guys you feel bad for are Stephon Gilmore, DeForest Buckner, Grover Stewart, these these veteran guys that are out there, Yannick Ngakwe. Quiddy Pay came back, had a, a big impact today, too. I, I don't think there's any coincidence that they only gave up 2.5 uh, per rush with, when he was back on the field. You're 100% right. It was nice he gets a sack as well. And they put, you know, they got Mac Jones down four times. So, one of the things we're talking about with this Colts is not enough of a sustained, uh, sustained pass rush. Again, they did that. They took advantage of a bad offensive line that the, the Patriots had. They, you know, Pat's kind of the same boat as the Colts here with an inconsistent line. Now, the Colts have been way worse for sure. But credit to the defense again. They do their job. Like you mentioned, 27 of our, excuse me, 17 of the 26 points was given away by the offense special team. So, you're looking at a defense that held this Patriots offense to three field goals. You, you should win every single game when you hold the team to 200 total yards and allow three field goals. They won it in Denver. And again, barely won that one. And they kind of, you know, paid the piper for that win this week by losing 26-3 to the Pats. So when we do return here in the Blue Horseshoe Pod, that was at least a sprinkle of positivity here. Because we got to give you something. The defense absolutely deserves some of the love. Gus Bradley has done a tremendous job. And again, after really what was a brutal first three quarters against the Texans, an awful first half against the Titans, I think four and an overall bad game against the Jaguars in week two. But again, that was uh, the offense didn't do them any favors or either. Steve has been very good and very consistent for sure. It's just a shame that the offense can't do anything to really help him out. But we will get into two interesting quotes from Frank Reich post game, including him being asked if a quarterback change is going to happen. I'll, we'll tell you what Frank Reich said uh, in the Blue Horseshoe Pod returns. You this episode is supported by FX's Clipped. The scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, 
Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. You are listening to the Blue Horseshoe Pod. Make sure you're subscribing and downloading wherever you get your pods. So, George, another just awful performance. Colts lose 26-3 to the Patriots. They fought a 3-5-1 on the year. And it's really interesting postgame because Frank Reich had two, I think, really interesting quotes that um, I, I kind of want to dive into here. So he was asked, or at least he started off his postgame presser against the after the Patriots game saying, quote, I certainly did not anticipate today. I really didn't, end quote. I know he's a coach, and I know you're not going into a game like you go in expecting you're going to win every single game. But we just started the entire first thing in the pod, George, basically saying how this was going to happen, and you were George Stradamus. Once they said Jonathan Taylor's out, you said they're going to score three points and score three points. What is Frank Reich seeing that either we are not, or what world is he living in where he thinks this offense is going to be way better than everyone else sees it because no one had any sort of faith or thought or hope this offense is going to be anywhere near competent. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting to to you know to see how everything goes here moving forward. I so late in the week on Friday, I wasn't feeling good at all. Like I've you can tell because you get to see me on here right now. The other people fortunately don't I have to mute like three or four times a, a session because I'm coughing so much because my allergies are just terrible right now. And so Friday they were really bad. And so I'm like, I'm not going to go down because it's after the last two years, you don't want to be the guy coughing and hacking That's up a true. lung in, in the media room. And so, uh, you know, the first thing when I saw the, the quote sheet was Frank Reich said, uh, I'm really looking forward to, to watching us play on Sunday. Like, and I, and I thought, yeah, you know, I, I, I wondered at that point. So I, I'm trying to back him up here that he definitely didn't see it coming. Um, and I don't know what it was based on. You know, I don't, I think it comes back to, we're talking about a head coach whose biggest flaw, it's his biggest strength is also his biggest weakness. He is loyal to a fault. He believes in these guys, you know, to like, he believes that Sam Ellinger is going to go out there and, and be Deshaun Watson. You know what I mean? Like that's, that's who he is. And I think it, you see it in moments like this when things are going well, it's a great thing because he believes in these guys and, and you have a player come out of nowhere and, and make plays that no one expected. And that it's a great thing in those moments when things are going poorly, you end up with things like Matt Pryor still being a starter in, in week nine and these kind of games being played. And, and it's, you know, it's like anything else. When, when he goes for it on fourth down and they win, he's a genius. When he goes for it on fourth down and they lose, he needs to be fired. Um, I, I honestly think Frank Reich's biggest strength as a head coach and his biggest weakness as a head coach is that he believes in his players to the utmost extent. And I get that, and that's totally fair. And you're right. It, in the totality of the five-year tenure he's been in Indianapolis, I said that's more of a positive than a negative for sure. But especially this year, you have to live in the real world. I get you want to say, oh, of course Sam Ellinger is going to make this throw. And of course on fourth and one, Deion Jackson is going to get the one yard we need. You need to live, though, in the real world and, and see what your eyes are telling you, which is what? This team is not very good and they are not getting the job done. And it goes back to what we kind of talked about the play calling on Sunday. The, the What they are doing is not working and something has to change. I get they made personnel changes. When you look at the game plan and the scheme, the Matt Ryan offense, the Sam Miller offense, it's one of the same. You had nine sacks today. There's zero rollouts. There's no like play action boots. There's no designed rollouts for, for Ellinger to get outside the pocket and just try to be an athlete. So, and it's just like, Frank, you got to see what's in front of you, man. Like that, like living in like almost a fantasy world, it's only making the situation worse, not better. No, and that's like I said on Friday when I read that I, I kind of did a double take because I had the exact opposite sense, uh, and so it was surprising to me to to see that. But not at the same time, just like just like him saying that now after the game is surprising, but not uh, because I I honestly believe he didn't see it coming, and and we'll see. I mean, they have made a lot of schematic changes during the course of the season, uh, but it's it's really telling that they're not doing it right now with with Sam. Uh, and so, again, I think you've got to get to a point where either you start doing those things you're talking about, start running bootlegs, start running him on rollouts, start, you know, making it more of a college style offense with with quicker reads. I thought they do it. They did it at times against Washington. You know, one of the biggest plays in that game, the biggest play in that game, the 47 yard pass to, to Alec Pierce was basically a half field read. You know, they got single coverage and he looked and, and he and he made the throw. I think you need more of that going forward. Um, or. Maybe you need to, to change quarterbacks again. 
Well, that brings us, George, to the other quote that I thought was very interesting after the game. Nate Atkins was asking Frank Reich if he would consider another quarterback change. Again, remember, when the first quarterback change was made, they said Sam Ellinger is a starter for the rest of the season, and this move is being made regardless of whether Matt Ryan was hurt or not a few weeks ago. Now, two games after Sam Ellinger was named the starter for the rest of the season, he was asked again by Nate Atkins, Frank Reich was, if you consider another quarterback change, he said he needs time to decide on that one. Which basically means shows you, I think, George, We again, not to kind of pat ourselves on the back here, but I think we're all of us in the start. Frank Reich does not trust uh, Sam Langer whatsoever. This is clearly Jim Irsay-driven mood uh, move. And there's Frank basically already two games in telling you, look, he is, Frank Reich is his own fault, right, for sure. But he's kind of telling you, we don't trust Sam whatsoever. Now, you know that's the quote I was shocked by. You saw my real-time yeah. reaction to that one. Uh just because, again, you know, we, we've talked about this before, but why go out there two weeks ago and say he's the starter no matter what, and it's not the injury? You know, go out of your way. He was asked. I mean, he kept being picked at that to, before he said it. Uh, but, you know, that that Matt Ryan wouldn't be the starter even if he wasn't injured. Uh, I don't know why you would, would go there. Uh, at that point, there was no need to. Uh, and it's going to make it look really bad if they go back. And then the question is, too, because that's a very open-ended answer. Is it Matt Ryan or is it Nick Foles? We know the relationship they have together. We know what happened the last time they were together as a quarterback and, and a head coach or a quarterback and, a, and an offensive coach. Mm-hmm. Uh, is he the next guy up? And I know that's not exciting to anybody listening. I'm not trying to say that to, to you know, fire up the fan base or to, to bring any out there. I'm just saying that's how crazy this situation is. I don't even know who the change would be to. If there was a change to be made, I, we don't know the status of Matt Ryan's shoulder. He hasn't practiced for two weeks, but there's never really been any detail about how long he's expected to be out. It's I mean, honestly, it just runs counter to literally with the conversation we had like two minutes ago about his, you know, loyal to a fault stance. When now you're getting two games in, he's basically saying, I, Sam, like, I don't know, you know, we may have to consider another change and he's not exactly, you know, a guy I'm going to live with or die with again, just goes back to the lack of trust. But to your like, if we're talking about another quarterback change, George, let's just, if we, again, since Frank Reich is living in a fantasy world, let's live in a fantasy world our, ourselves, George. Let's pretend Matt Ryan is fully healthy and he could play if, ne- if necessary. Don't you have to go to Nick Foles first? Like I get optics from a stand, you know, in one situation is maybe not, you know, you don't really care about optics. If your coaches want to win games, but you can't, you, I just, you cannot, Look everyone in the face seriously. Say Sam Ellinger is our guy the rest of the season. And then two games that are actually, you know what? We're going to go back to the guy we benched for, Matt Ryan. It's not much better if you go to Nick Foles. I get it. But at least it's like you're not, I guess, double talking your way out of it as bad as it would have been if you just go right back to Matt Ryan. Again, if he is healthy enough to play, which we're unsure of, like you mentioned, he's hasn't practiced in two weeks. But I would guess right now if a quarterback change happens, whether it's this week, whether it's next week, first of all, let me ask you this. Does it feel like a quarterback change is inevitable at some point this season? I think so, but for a different reason. I, I've been on record that I don't think Sam Ellinger is going to be able to take this beating for 10 games. I mean, you just saw him get sacked nine times a day, and if they do what we want them to do and they roll him out a little bit more and they and they run him on bootlegs, he's going to get hit even more. Uh, I just don't think he's – I don't think anyone is going to stand up to Good that point. beating. It's not a Sam Ellinger-specific prediction. Right. Uh, it, it's more that, you know, Matt Ryan missed three games in 14 years before he came here, and he lasted seven, seven games before – uh, he had a shoulder injury bad enough to to force him out of a game. So, yeah, I think there'll be a quarterback change because I think it's going to be necessary. I hear it, and you are right. It could be David Carr 2.0 with how much he's getting hit. I mean, nine sacks is just, just horrendous on Sunday. But like, honestly, when you watch so far, George, like, again, that's part of the reason why it was so confusing when they made the move in the first place for the whole season. Ten games is a long, long, long time. And now two games in, you see this offense look super inept. They have one touchdown in two games so far at the new quarterback. Nothing has really changed. They've taken a major step backwards here this week compared to even just last week against the Commanders. And it's just like, I, I, I don't think you can have another eight games where you're watching Sam Ellinger struggle. You watch his offensive line struggle. Like, I think they will make another quarterback move at some point, not even injury lid, just because like we uh, spark something, like something just, just to say we tried something. I just don't see how you can truly, again, if your goal is to win, which we still assume this point, Chris Ballard and Frank Reich, at least, their goal is still to win games. Even Jim Mercer, I'd say this, they're not actively tanking. I think their goal is to win. I think we will see a quarterback change again this season. Again, not because injury. And I'll tell you what, though, the whole situation, 
just the fact that we're having this conversation is back to to the I think the most damning thing we talked about during the week the rudderless, aimless, directionless uh, situations you have with this franchise right now. It, it feeds into all of that. I mean, we were talking about before you, you bring in Sam Ellinger and you say you're not, you know, you're not waving the white flag to use the exact phrase that, that was used at that time, that, that you're going to try to make a playoff run. At that point, they were still talking about winning the division, which now seems like a, a complete <laughs> pipe dream. Um, but yeah, they were at the time of the, at the time of the quarterback change. And then the next thing you do is fire your offense coordinator eight days later and trade away one of the top offensive players. Those things already didn't seem like they go together. Now you're talking about another quarterback switch. It just, all of it feeds into fair or not. And we've already talked about, there's no fairness in the NFL to begin with. There's no direction. That's, no direction. That's what it looks like. If, if there is, they're not articulating it. Well, let's put it that way. You're hundred percent right. And that, again, that's one of the reasons why going into this game, we kind of had a discussion of, is Frank Reich going to lose the locker room? Because it's hard for players to trust what the head coach is telling you. If, again, moves are being made that make it look like, oh, they're firing Marcus Bray. They're trying to do, you know, they're putting uh, Sam Ellinger in a quarterback. They're trying to get some sort of spark on offense going. Then you trade away Naeem Hines. I get that's part of the, uh, you know, part of the NFL. And, again, I think it's a – I wish they actually traded more. It's not like, you know, I'm sitting here mad that they only traded one guy and they didn't add or anything. I wish they traded more and just were sellers. But it goes back to, you're right. No one knows what this Colts team is trying to accomplish. We have no idea what, what their actual motivations and goals are. I mean, Frank Reich, especially on Sunday, looked like he was just coaching to lose the game on purpose. Like, it, it, that's what it frankly looked like. It was like. bad. It was and bad. So it's, how, if you're, how if you're a player, like you sign up for eight more games that or continue to listen to the message of Frank Reich and even Chris Ballard to a certain extent? Because it's just like, you guys don't know what you're doing. Like, players are not stupid. They know the issues. They know how to fix them. And it's like, if you don't see anything happening, pretty soon you're going to be like, you don't screw this guy or... or forget this or like i can't mm -hmm. take him seriously it's it's a dangerous game and, and it's a slippery slope george and we are you know on the uh in the fast lane towards what could be oh, a yeah. totally dysfunctional end of the december or month of december we'll say i think a lot of people will think that you know that some of this will come from the defense and, and i think it's easier if you're on the defense to not be affected by it because it does none of these things really affect their job i mean it does in the sense of them winning but they they've shown you they could still go out there and and do their thing and and put up good numbers and and i think you're going to continue to see that because those guys know it but if you're an offensive player it, it starts i think we don't talk enough about like the business aspect of the game we, we always say it's a business when something happens and people get traded or cut mm -hmm. or whatever but at times like this we don't talk enough about the business aspect of the game if you're a wide receiver right now or you're running back or you're even on the offensive line you're feeling like they're cutting into your earning potential. You know, at some point you're going to be it's up fair. for another contract and you're right now, somebody's taking food off your money or taking food off your table. If, if this continues, I think that's a, a legit concern and it's not being selfish. It's being realistic. You know, if you're on the 30th ranked offense, which is not probably not going to be 30th by the time we get yeah. to Monday now, um, no, sir, you're not going to be highly coveted, right? I mean, Naheem Hines got out of here. Congratulations to him. If you're some of the other guys on offense and things don't turn around in a hurry now, we're halfway through the season at this point. There's no more. It's early. You know, that's that's got to be a legit concern. I'm not saying that again. I'm not saying that from a selfish standpoint. Just saying if you are a human, which all of them are playing on this offense right now, how is that not bothering you? Jonathan Taylor, Michael Pittman Jr. Like you're right. Like those are two guys that are that are primed for a big payday, hopefully with the Colts, maybe somewhere else. But you're right. Like the, the more you watch this inept offense, like if you're, especially if you're Michael Pittman Jr., I mean, you're Matt Ryan's best friend. You're the go-to guy. Now it's like, guy's invisible. Like if he gets one pass, like, oh, that's right. There's Michael Pittman Jr. I forgot he's on the Colts. Like with Sam Engel, at least again, he, he's not someone who's going to really light up throwing the ball. So now all of a sudden you go from, we talked about this before, like, you know, Michael Pittman Jr., what have 13, 14, 15 targets a game, you know, two, three, four, four a game. It's, it's really been, like you said, you have no, it's part of the business. It's frustrating. Again, this is, and when you make this move so early with so much time left in the season, you lead the offense and you lead players like in a position to where they are going to get very frustrated. You're right. It's one of those where like you look today, Michael Pittman Jr., three catches. That's it. Three catches for 22 yards. You're not getting, you know, let's just say $20 million. You're not getting $20 million a year putting up, you know, eight more games with three catches for 22 yards. And you're right. I think, by the way, if there is a, frustration if there's backlash if there's someone kind of 
talking out of turn for less of a better word, it's going to be from the offense and the defense. It should be from the defense because they're playing great. It's like, oh, this offense figured it out. But I think you're 100% right. It's going to be from the offense because those guys had some success when Matt Ryan was in, at least the skill players. And now it's it's totally down the sewer with Sam Ellinger. Yeah, and I want you know, to make it clear. I'm not putting words in anybody's mouth. I'm not saying that anybody on offense is doing that right now. I'm just saying it's human nature in my mind that that's what's going to happen. You know, at some point, if the, if the offense continues, to, especially when you came in with such high expectations. I mean, I think yes. I don't know if I ever went on the record, but I know I said it off the record that I thought that maybe Pittman would would break the NFL receptions record this year because he would be targeted so much by Matt Ryan. And it, early on, it looked like he was on pace, and then he got hurt, and things went so far south that, that that's not a thing. And, and also, you know, should mention Paris Campbell and Alec Pierce really stepped forward and, and became really viable options as well. Uh, but you go from a guy who was a high volume receiver and it's some of it's on him. I mean, he had a huge, horrible drop last week mm -hmm. at the fumble two weeks ago. I don't think he had a drop today, but there was a couple, I think that he maybe could have competed for a little bit better. Uh, a couple passes that he didn't bring in that maybe, you know, if he fights a little bit harder, he could have got to, but yeah, tough, tough sledding. I mean, when you throw for 103 yards, George, it's, it's ugliness all around in the passing game. That is for sure. That's the word you can easily sum up for the Patriots game. Ugly in every single facet outside of the defense. Special teams had their one of their worst games of the season in terms of just fundamentals. You had the offense every running the ball, throwing the ball, awful blocking. It was at all up together. It was one of the worst games we have seen. That's a new bar considering we've seen a lot of bad football this year, George. And the Colts to their credit will say. Found a way to uh, one up that one this week uh, you, on Sunday in New England. You talk about ugly, and to me, the measurement of bad. Scott Tolzien's name came up today. That's yeah, that's how bad it was. Nothing against Scott Tolzien, Wisconsin legend, great guy in the locker room. Uh, but the last time the Colts didn't convert a third down for an entire game was his start against the Rams in 2017. When that game is coming up, it was a bad day. When you are matching, like you said. Records from that game, it's when you know, oh boy, turn the TV off, go do something else, anything, but watch the rest of this game as Colts finish 0-14 on third down. My God, that's terrible. Absolutely terrible. But that's uh, that's unfortunate what we're, uh, what we're watching. That's what we get. Eight more games of George. Cannot wait. Let's go. Still two more months of uh, a lot of fun football to watch. Hey, hey, here's the, here's the brightener. The Raiders lost again, and... Josh McDaniels is is very much on the hot seat. I know everybody loves him here. So now you're getting a showdown here with McDaniels and Reich, and uh, both fan bases want the head coach fired. So, hey, could be an interesting week. This could be a situation where, yeah, you beat Josh McDaniels, but maybe more fans will be upset with the win than uh, <laughs> the disappointed. Yeah, that's for sure. It's going to be uh, – or excited, I should say, um, if, the, if the Colts do it. It's going to be – it's going to be uh, very interesting to see how Colts fans do uh, – kind of have their emotions ready for this week for sure. So that'll do for the post-game pod edition of the Blue Horseshoe Podcast. As always, make sure you're following, liking, and downloading the show wherever you do get your pods. Myself and George will be back on the midweek pod. I, I guess George is saying to try to bring some positivity. I, I mean, at this point, like, I, there's none. I, so I already know that's not going to happen, but I'll say we'll try. Like, you bring, we can't just continue the negativity of the culture bring. We got to at least give you something uplifting for sure. We're just going to talk about Grover Stewart. Grover Stewart and Bryce Young, maybe as the Nets Colts uh, Colts quarterback. That's we'll we'll get your hopes up that way for sure. So we'll talk to you on the midweek pod right here on the Blue Horseshoe Pod.